Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Well, welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Jack Betts. Hello. How you doing, Jack? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're here at the Cannon, which is nice. Again, we're in person. We have our fellow Oldfield matchmaker with us, as always, Mr. Stephen Forrester. That's it. I'm sure you could probably hear in the background because we're in like a tiny little box right now. We're in the H-Town room at the Cannon. And if anyone's ever recorded with me, we typically do it in the Lone Star room, which gives us a little bit of space. We got the greenery in the background. We're not like basically kissing because we're like about six feet apart. Now we're on this like tiny little coffee end table in the H-Town room. So you can probably hear some echoes, but we got the space background, which is kind of cool. I like it. I like space. Are you guys space buffs or what? Do you guys like space? I feel like I'm still playing catch up after moving to Houston. I think if I grew up here, I'd be more more into space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Well, speaking of space, did you guys see Richard Branson make it to outer space? Yeah, he beat Jeffrey. I know. Yeah, the race of the billionaires. You know, it's funny because Bezos gets divorced and goes to the moon or wherever he's trying to get to. And it's like most guys will buy a Corvette. And he's like, nope, I'm buying a spaceship or building one. I'm going to the moon. It's like, man, that that's a different perspective but i like it i mean good for you shoot for the stars yeah exactly but yeah jack you're a senior aluminum reporter at argus media and former writer for many organizations that a lot of the listeners are going to be familiar with such as world oil lord register and spe is that correct that's right nice okay pivot from oil and gas into metals and you know argus most of what they do is, is energy products they do pricing for you know crude oil natural gas other petroleum products, lubricants, waxes, all, all stuff that comes from oil. Very cool. And they have some non-core stuff, including metals. And I interviewed for kind of what was open, and I thought I was just going to end up in, again, some kind of energy thing, and it ended up being metals. And it, it's just as interesting, and I'm still within an arm's reach of oil because I'm you know at at the companies. So. Exactly. Well, we can get into the details because I think it's fascinating. And, and I'm personally interested in global markets and commodity trading and pricing. And and again, we're not going to get into the super nitty gritty granular stuff that you guys do specifically, but just in general, I think is going to be a cool topic. But firstly, for everyone out there, you won't find Jack Betts on LinkedIn because he actually goes by John on LinkedIn. Very sneaky. It's not Jack. Can you please explain this unusual phenomenon to the listeners? Because John and Jack are very similar, but one of them is a nickname, which again is super random. But I'll let you describe it. Why? Well, it's it's kind of like people would call, you know, JFK Jack Kennedy sometimes and his, you know, his birth name is, you know, was John. So that's the uh, easiest way to encapsulate it. But so is he like your idol or no, he's just he's just probably the most famous person I can point to where everybody <laughs> can uh, agree. Oh, this isn't that weird. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If someone like him has that, 
surely everyone will just accept the fact that you did too. And I went, I went by a byline of Jack Daniel bets for a long time when I was, because before I came into energy, when I got out of school, actually while I was still in school. You were a serious Jack Daniels drinker. No, I hate Jack Daniels. Okay. My, it actually is my middle name, but oh, um, <laughs> nice. it, you know, I, I used it as my byline when I was at Free Press Houston, RIP, mm-hmm. and you know, which is a okay. arts and culture and music newspaper. It was a monthly and I kind of cut my teeth on writing there. And that, that's another reason why I kind of switched my byline when I came to Argus. I'm not embarrassed about anything I wrote there, but some of it's a little bit amateurish, a little bit like, you know, <laughs> co- college kids still like figuring out how to write. Cause, yeah. Uh, I got a lot of experience there, but the editing was minimal to non-existent. I didn't really learn how to write in a, in a professional sense until I left. So ah, I see. Well, you know, but you, you can't ever be judgmental about yourself from the work that a person's done back in the day because it, it all is part of who you are today. You know, you got to kind of go through the amateur hour and, you know, the ups and downs and the mistakes and the constructive criticism to build on it. So, but again, I totally understand where you're coming from. Again, a big shout out to Stephen Forrester, who's with us today. You introduced us at the last OGGN event, right? Uh, I think you guys were about to leave and Stephen said, hey, I want to introduce you to a buddy. And, and so we hit it off and we got BS. And I said, well, it'd be great to have on the podcast. So uh, again, the Stephen, the Oldfield matchmaker is making it happen again. <laughs> So you've done about 12 years of writing-ish as a professional. Do you or do you ever get tired of writing? Not really. And no. I think a big part of it is because I was able to switch disciplines a little bit. Not that I think I would be sick of oil and gas if I stayed in it. But, yeah. you know, it would have helped if when I switched to, you know, metals, if if I'd switched to another part of oil and gas. or Because a lot of my energy writing has been upstream stuff. So drilling production completions stuff like that not as much like the downstream or midstream okay maybe i would have migrated into one of those two you know if, if i'd gotten bored but i think that you know being in, in business journalism and i guess you know a little bit engineering journalism as well you know, yeah with, with oil and gas there's there's so many different niches to go for that as long as you don't get bored with the subject matter you're probably not going to be bored writing and uh, you know aluminum you know the niche i'm in now is it's really specific, but it's also everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I've been with Argus, it'll be six years in September. Okay. And, uh, I'm not sick of it yet. And, um, <laughs> yet. So there's uh, possibility of you getting sick of it. I don't think I'm ever going to leave aluminum. It's such a weird little world. The people are great. And, you know, there's a lot of things that overlap with oil and gas, especially the sustainability challenges. There's a lot of problem solving when you're buying, selling, sorting, and melting aluminum to make new products that kind of lines up with oil and gas. Yeah. When you throw aluminum in a furnace, there's a lot of environmental considerations. And then to recover, you know, aluminum scrap, you know, one of the sources of it is like, you know, car shredders, for example. Yeah. And nobody wants to build those anywhere, but they're really important and we need them. Yeah. Which is very similar to oil and gas. You know, nobody... Nobody wants to ignore the environmental consequences of oil and gas, but a lot of people want to focus on them to a degree where it's like, it sounds like we can live without this thing, Mm -hmm. but we know we really can't at this point. Yeah, no kidding for, yeah. So that leads into it. And and before we do get going, I really want to give a quick shout out to Technip FMC. And I want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by them. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, 
Click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. And I do also want to give a quick shout out to, you know, shameless plug here to my wife, Nicole, who is on JP Warren's podcast called Energy Crew. Just got released today. I'm super proud of her. We're recording this on July 15th, so it would probably be out for a few weeks. But please give show her some love. Give it a listen. She did a fantastic job along with JP. And so another thing, she's extremely busy. We are both busy and refuses to look for a nanny. So if anyone out there has a good recommendation, please reach out because she will not do it. So it looks like it's up to me to find one. Anyway, so before we dive more into the aluminum stuff, because again, I do find it very interesting. But how are you either personally or from Argus's perspective, how are you guys innovating this year coming out of COVID? Or, and if there isn't anything on that side, what have you noticed on the commodity side? Any interesting trends, anything that's kind of fascinated you or surprised you coming out as we move into this supply crunch on a lot of different commodities? Can you speak a little bit about just anything interesting that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, with base metals and and even, you know, steel, it's like a lot of industries, the first quarter, you know, a lot of the manufacturing space and sort of, you know, durable goods space was, was caught flat-footed. A lot of people thought like, oh, you know, we are recovering from COVID, but it's going to be a slow process. It might not pick up until the second quarter. And obviously it was just off to the races immediately. And so you saw the cost of everything go up. And for aluminum in particular, you know, the all-in price for like new aluminum, called the Midwest transaction price here in the U.S., that's kind of stabilized, but, you know, things are still at, you know, close to 2008 highs, which, you know, is making everybody pretty nervous. Mm. And, you know, there, there are some things that are coming off supposedly, you know, like lumber, you know, everybody read the the Wall Street Journal articles and all of the people who just suddenly started paying attention to commodities when it started affecting them more personally. Of course. Uh, I think, but I've heard that lumber is coming off a little bit and some things are starting to stabilize and just not being a straight line up. Right. But yeah, lumber's coming, dropping, but the housing market still isn't. So we'll see where that ends up. But so that's interesting. And so tying it to day to day, how would you say that our, from the consumer standpoint, how have we seen any changes that you're aware of on the aluminum side? Like, are there, has there been... Oh, there's an easy one. There's a really big one. And it started during COVID last year. I mean, it started as soon as businesses started getting shut down, especially bars and restaurants. You know, one of the, the big markets I cover, the only daily price I do is used beverage cans. You know, that's something that we're generating a lot more of these days. You know, the demand for that has really increased because... You're talking about like pop cans? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Any, Soda cans, okay. beer cans... And anything, energy drinks, but, you know, especially for alcohol, you know, sales of alcohol skyrocketed last year, you <laughs> yeah. know, we're all home. Some people are drinking too much, but even, even, you know, adjusted for that, there's left draft, there's less draft beverages, whether it's, you know, fountain drinks for soda or whether it's like, you know, draft beers, Wow. all of that, you know, volume transitioned to at home beverage consumption. So the supply chain got really stretched and. Can demand went up and, you know, for a while last year when things were really bad and a lot of businesses were still shut down, the pipeline of scrap just got clogged up because some scrapyards didn't want to buy the cans because, you know, there's there's saliva on the, on the rim and we didn't really know where COVID was coming from totally at that point. Yeah. How much it could spread. That's kind of changed, but the high demand aspect of it is still with us and people have had a whole year to reshape their habits yes. and they've just integrated more you know, at home beverage consumption into their lives. And yeah. And lots more white claws. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, Everyone's sure. crushing White Claws. Yeah, White, white Claws <laughs> and the Topo Chico one and the yes. Shiner one and, and all that. Yeah. I mean, so, like, can we expect the price of these beverages to go down if the price or if the demand for this recycled goods goes down and supply goes back up? You know, it's really hard to tell what's going to happen with that. And I think that you pointed to something that I'm just personally curious about that's not even particularly aluminum, but it's just the whole like oversaturation of, you know, carbonated alcoholic beverages, <laughs> right? Know, your, yeah. Your sodas and stuff. It's like, there's so many of these things. It seems like there's a bubble. It is. Yeah. But, and and because it'll, for, for a while, I noticed there was a push for the alcoholic kombucha because kombucha was big. And then all of a sudden someone's like, well, why don't we put some alcohol in this healthy, bubbly Which is so drink. funny because, you know, kombucha has like, I think like 0.5 or like yeah. 0.7%. There's a small percent of, of alcohol in there. Yeah. And so I thought that was going to take off, which it didn't, because I don't think a lot of people like the taste. I enjoyed them. But you're right. I feel like a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon. And I would imagine from a manufacturing perspective, it's probably not hard to make. <laughs> like if Budweiser and all these other ones are set up for everything they do, it's probably a quick, I don't know, change in operating, whatever, procedures the, the can, to, to the make it happen. The cans aren't that much different, but it, I think there's more of those slim cans too. Because also, I mean, to be fair, a lot of these drinks are marketed towards women but i'm sure that we all oh i've only drank them for the yeah, last I mean, year really and i'm not, so lean and mean because of it. anything but like you know the marketing <laughs> they, they tend to be more in slim cans than you know like, yeah. like a beer or a soda right for whatever reason and i think even after that let's just market this towards women things gone away the slim cans kind of stayed yeah but well, people love them and it's like yeah because you think oh i'm just drinking a slim one and but yeah but then you're drinking 18 of them instead of like a, <laughs> like a six pack so then it's like there's also the koozie question too i mean there are slim koozies but they are people are starting to make them all this all the swag koozies from oil and gas <laughs> and from metals that i've accumulated over the past like 10 12 years <laughs> right none of them fit i think we have like one slim koozie yeah the slim koozie with the magnets you can put on the golf cart huge win i haven't seen it yet but hopefully our marketing department's getting on top of that because that will be big assuming it's not just a buzz i mean but then who knows right like it's it's interesting to see where that'll all go i don't think it'll totally go away but you know it's like because the craft beer thing was kind of similar i mean i think that we all have expected some giant bubble for a long time because there's so many craft beers but in our local market and i'm not a i'm not a beer expert or anything but like just keeping my eye on a handful of local beers I like, you know, really other than one, there's one beer, I think, I think it was called like Texas big beer or something, okay. which was out, out in the country, like near Beaumont. Other than them, like over the past 10 years, I can't really think of any brewery that I like that has gone under. There's just space for everybody, I guess. It's I guess. Yeah. Maybe it would be like that with the hard sparkling waters, you know, and it might be, and I'd be curious to see what the sales are like now versus say, you know, eight months ago and granted it's summer. So probably more, but it will be interesting to see. There's uh, actually a statistic too, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but you know, whenever I need a, a good economic statistic, I go to the St. Louis fed, which, you know, they're, they're one of the members of the, the federal reserve system for whatever reason, they've been sort of tasked with presenting the data. There is one for sales of alcoholic beverages and it is really funny to see how much it spiked last year. I mean, yes, I'm going to, we're going to find moving, it. It's always moving up, you know, just because we're continuing <laughs> yeah. to consume more as a com- you know, as a country where our GDP growth is positive, we're, we're growing and we're partying so way overall, more. Like it's, you know, naturally going up slightly anyway, but like during COVID it was just absurd. It was absurd. So it's always increasing. Just the rate at which it increased over COVID was yeah, substantial. Exactly. Kind of the way, like <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, statistics that are just continually going up because we're, you know, we're, we're in positive growth territory, Yeah. but this one is just, it just exploded. 
I right. actually cited it in an article. I need to do a re- return to that, you know, because yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it, there's very few ways to quantify like some of this stuff, but the right economic statistic can paint a pretty, you know, concrete picture. It does, right? And I like economics. I am by no means a master in it, but it's just, it fascinates me. And so I'm always interested. And I, I follow the visual capitalist, which ties in a lot of good graphics to economics. And they'll, they'll plot everything from, I don't know. I think one of the ones recently was the wealthiest millennial and it had all these bar charts and showing. And so it's just a, it's a very quick and easy way to look at a graph or something and kind of ties in, you know, I'm sure they have something on alcoholic consumption or sales, but we'll put the link in the show notes for the one you mentioned. Cause I yeah, think it's I'll, really I'll interesting for those. URL. It's, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. And yeah, you know, <laughs> that'd I be think great. It's one of those things that reminds you that the government is actually a decently good keeper of these statistics. And there's so many that none of us will ever know about unless we happen to need a reason to dig up the stat. Yeah. And I wonder like if big corporations, I mean, I'm a, I, they have to, to do further like strategic marketing or just business planning. There's probably data out there that a lot of companies dig oh, up. Oh, for to, sure. It's just not, it's not public and it's not collated in an easy to use way. Right. But the government stuff is just, just out there for anybody to use it. And yeah, it is. It's kind of like the you know, one that I always go to is the EIA for a lot yeah. of the stuff that I do. Yeah. And you can, any graph that is tied to the EIA, you can pull up the Excel and do a bunch of overlaying and do your own analyses, which I like, but I would imagine there's tons of stuff out there for the every other industry. That kind of sucks that this is, this is most government data is the, the lag time because, the, because they're, right. not, they're not private. They, yeah. Their resources are more limited. I used to do the, uh, I forgot what it was called. I think it was the indices section for World Oil Magazine, which is just some of, it was mostly EIA data. And I would present it in sort of a small section of the magazine. I don't know whether they have it anymore. I haven't seen a copy in a while, but okay. that, that would lag like hell. And sometimes it's like, well, they just didn't, they just haven't published it yet. This yeah. Month. I guess we just have to like wait. That's true. Some I find, like I find is quite up to date, but like gas supply for some reason is still back in like May and on the EIA. Anyway, yeah, it's, it, there is a lag in some, but not much other. But again, tying it back to the aluminum side. So I'm curious because in Canada, where I'm from, we recycle and you bring it to a bottle depot and you know, there's a, I get, there's obviously a market for it and they get money and the consumer gets, you know, five cents a can or whatever. Why hasn't that made its way into the U S do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a handful of deposit States in the U S but there's no federal law. And for, for one reason or another, it's kind of a third rail issue. People just don't want to touch it. I don't totally understand why, but you know, the thing is it does increase recycling, but at the same time though, in a state like Texas, for example, you know, scrap dealers will buy the cans instead. And so, I mean, these, these things do, and really one of the most fascinating things that I learned, I mean, a while ago when I first started doing this, that I think a lot of people are still not aware of. And I'm I'm hesitant to say this because I, people should continue to put stuff on the curb in recycling containers. But, you know, the idea of the material recovery facility, which is like waste management has them, a lot of large, you know, trash companies have them, some small ones do. But they, they cut the bags open and they find the aluminum, basically, oh. through hand sorting, through magnetics, through air puffs. So this stuff, this stuff makes it there, but it, the, the rate is a lot better when it is a deposit system. No kidding. So, Do you think there's a market if someone opened like the Houston Bottle Depot? Like, would that be just a huge business? 
Well, it's aluminum tends to be the one that is the biggest moneymaker followed. I think glass is a distant second. Waste management supposedly has one of the biggest material recovery facilities in the world here in Houston. What? I haven't, I haven't been there yet. I hope to go one day. It would be cool. No kidding. There's a book called Junkyard Planet that I recommend to anybody that has any kind of interest in this stuff, just about scrap recycling and, you know, sustainability and how we balance our consumption with recycling. But the first chapter of that book talks about the Houston Waste Management Material Recovery Facility. No way. So I wonder, so yeah, if you opened up a bottle de- or like an aluminum depot where everyone brought their cans, gave them a decent amount, I wonder if there's a there's enough margin there to, because would then you sell it back to waste management? Well, you'd, you'd sell it, you'd sell it to either a rolling mill like directly, or you'd sell oh. it to a broker that is going to be the middleman nice. for the rolling mill. And I think there are some private ones where it's just like, the trash company doesn't even own it. It's just like a group of individuals who have kicked in. Yeah. But that's the that's the weird patchwork of the U.S. because we have 50 states and only, I can't remember how many off the top of my head, but only a handful. Yeah, they're not many. Yeah. So in the other states, it's like these cans are kind of up for grabs. You know, <laughs> a lot of them get landfilled, but, you know, there are companies that are mining landfills too. It's kind of a tall order, but I feel like that's going to be the future one day. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I always remember after having a house party, just gathering up all the cans and I would maybe get enough to like eat lunch that day or the yeah. following day. Yeah. Cause you'd bring like 18 garbage bags, fulls of cans. You might get like $13, but Hey, it was at that time, it was good money. And the thing is that, that, that amount of money is, you know, far exceeds most things that are in the trash. Like, yeah, you know, you can recycle plastic and glass, but that's a lot harder to do. And the real key to recycling this stuff is to doing it in like a really cost conscious way. Okay. As long as they can recycle it cheaply, it makes sense. But yeah, there's a lot of places where, you know, they don't have that infrastructure. So it gets landfilled and it's hard to fix that until we figure out how to make it, you know, not as expensive for some of the more marginal stuff like glass and plastic. Right. Well, I want to kind of pivot back to something you mentioned earlier in the conversation is again, tying it somewhat to oil and gas and the sustainability part and, and people like the idea, but not necessarily willing to give it up. Can you talk a bit more on the sustainability and where it was, where it's at and where you think it could be from, from that standpoint? For oil and gas? or For, for the aluminum can stuff. Well, the, the real thing is anytime you're doing any kind of recycling of like metal, whether it's copper or zinc or, or aluminum, it's pyrogenic processes. So it's, it's melting. Okay. And that's always going to create some emissions and we're getting better at causing that to great less emissions, but it's kind of a battle for aluminum. The real sort of, you know, back and forth is between primary and secondary aluminum. Okay. Primary comes from bauxite and there's a lot of that production in Canada where you're from and that uses more energy, but we do need it. That's very much like oil and gas in a way, because with recycling, there is a finite amount of scrap to recycle. Right. And when you're making an aluminum product, you have to, you have to blend out certain things that are in the scrap. So you need that that primary aluminum, but the primary aluminum has the, the process to get that starts with bauxite where you mine it out and you take that bauxite, you crush it up with caustic soda mm. and then you calcine it, which means you bake it in a big oven until you get this white powder, powder called alumina. Mm. And that uses a lot of energy and there's a lot of environmental issues, especially with the mining part of it that overlap with, with oil and gas. Interesting. So, and so where do they, are these places kind of scattered throughout the U.S. or are there like big hubs for it or? The biggest one where we get the bauxite from in this hemisphere is Jamaica, actually. There's a ton of it in Jamaica. 
Really? And there's a lot of bauxite deposits in different spots in, in the world, but you know, there's only a couple places where it's super commercial. It's kind of like solar power or, you know, things like that, where it's like, we can collect these resources almost anywhere because bauxite is very common or like not bauxite, but other ores of aluminum are very common, hmm. but you have to be in the right spot for it to be economical. So we, we've gotten a lot from Jamaica and there's a couple other hot spots, but yeah. And, and in the U S we don't really do very much primary smelting, which is when you take that powder you get from the bauxite and you turn it into aluminum metal. Okay. Cause uh, it's very expensive to do. And you know, to build building an aluminum smelter is kind of like building a refinery. There's not a lot of that happening. The investment is incredible and it's happening in other countries, but it's just like here for, you know, a number of reasons, you know, it's kind of migrating out. Okay. So do companies, let's like say Budweiser or whatever for their cans, they get their cans from Jamaica? No, they get, they get, what they'll do is they'll get their, they'll get, they'll buy coil, you know, aluminum coil from you know, a rolling mill that buys scrap oh. and primary aluminum to make a coil. And then that Budweiser will normally rely on somebody like Ball, which is just making the cans and it's a stamping process. Ah, gotcha. And that happens here in the U.S. Yeah, there's plenty of that. And actually during the pandemic, there was a moment where we realized we just didn't have the capacity to keep up. And Ball, who's one of the dominant players in the can space, was like, yeah, we're going to build like three more plants. Are they and, publicly traded? Yep, they are. Did their stock just go through the roof? I'm not I'm not sure actually. I have to think that it benefited them a lot. They're the ball that, you know, if you see like a ball jar, for example. Yeah. Those old school ball jars. They actually don't own that brand anymore, but they sold the brand because it was so lucrative. Because every you know, it's an iconic American thing. But um, it is, right. And because we have the pleasure of internet here, I am going to find it <laughs> because I'm curious. And I'm not quite at the production stage where I have someone sitting beside me just ask, like, I can ask some questions like Joe Rogan does. Right, Steven, quick, what's the stock price of ball? So it's 84.54 as of today, year to date. So it's been pretty, pretty steady. Not serious growth, but pretty consistent. Actually, I'm wrong. So going into 2019, it was around 40 bucks. 2019, it was 48. And then as we move towards, 2020 it went up and so nothing crazy but it definitely through the through the last couple of years has gone up so anyway this is definitely not a investment advice podcast but i was curious so uh, anyway one of, one of the things about can sheet in particular that's interesting this is a trend that's kind of happened during covid mm-hmm. can sheet used to be like the unsexiest product if you were a rolling mill because if you're a company that makes coil, you can decide, you know, I want to make coil for automotive. I want to make coil for building construction or yeah. garbage can sheet. But for years and years, it was one of the lowest margin products. And everybody was converting their old can sheet assets to make automotive sheet, which, you know, is something that's gained ground in the past 10 years. And the new Ford F-150s, they have a lot of it. And okay. more cars are integrating it, but it's a higher, it's a higher, you know, premium product. Gotcha. There's not as many people who do it, but with COVID, you know, there's been more attention paid to beverage can sheet in the earnings. They don't talk about it like it's the redheaded stepchild anymore. No kidding. You know, it's not enough where I think anybody's really converted any of their capacity back to beverage can sheet from automotive or anything, but it's it's enough where there's been acquisitions that seem to be maybe linked to, you know, paying more attention to it. There's a rolling mill that got acquired, you know, this year. That they closed on the deal this year and it was a company making really you know sort of 
high margin aerospace and automotive stuff and they bought a rolling mill that does can sheet so i mean it's no a way. weird world now you know it is things have changed since covid but for the better i feel like yeah yeah so who buys the most aluminum like which industry automotive probably by weight probably the stuff going into to beverage can sheet wow um, we but drink a lot the the statistics on that are kind of hard to come by but yeah i mean it's probably beverage can sheet and then the next biggest industry is probably building and construction. Yeah. Because you have siding and then you have extrusions. Yeah. So like like right, windows and door frames. That's a big one. Sure. And that industry has been really hot even throughout COVID because for whatever reason, you know, building and construction didn't get hit as hard by COVID as a lot of other industries. So for the people that were, you know, watching aluminum, that was one part of the industry that was pretty strong still. Yeah, okay. And you know, and, and now with everything else that's supporting residential construction, you know, it's super hot right now because, yeah. I mean, you know, we have such a backlog of everything. <laughs> no kidding. So for your job and your career as it stands right now, are you more interested in aluminum in itself and that market or just market data in general and pricing? Because you do pricing, right? I do price assessment. So I call people up and I figure out what stuff is uh, trading at and then mm. I'll do a weekly assessment. And that is data that people can use to tie their their contract business to that. Gotcha. So is that what interests you, or is it aluminum that interests you? I think I think it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. I don't I don't really have a I don't really have a, a desire to go and trade aluminum at this point in my life because I'm just kind of risk averse. It's a yeah. fascinating world, but no, I'm just I'm just happy doing exactly what I'm doing. I've, awesome. I've found my niche. Hey, that and that's what it's all about is finding what you enjoy. And sometimes I, I miss oil and gas too, but I'm happy that I'm at a company where. I can like walk over a desk or two and I can yeah. like ask people what's going on and like what's what's trending. You can stay plugged in. It's still an interesting industry to me as well. I, I'll always love oil and gas. Very cool. Would you ever go back into the writing space? Even like part-time or just for fun? For for what? For like... Like say World Oil or something in energy, like writing for um, energy. My hands are kind of tied by Argus, but... Ah, uh, okay. But maybe. You never know what would happen. Maybe you can write books. Have you yeah, ever written maybe. a book? I haven't thought about it, but there's not that many books on aluminum, so, right? Which is weird because it's one of the main reasons that, that there's not a lot of stuff about aluminum is because it's a relatively new industrial metal. You know, ah. when you say new, like how far back? I can't remember the, the first time it was reduced. You know, from from aluminum ore, but not that long ago. And in, in the U.S., a lot of the assets came from World War II. Hmm. A lot of the smelters we have, you know, were used for producing aluminum for for bombers and stuff, and after World War II, a lot of those rolling mills and smelters got kind of like parceled out to like private industry in a weird way. Yeah. But it's, it hasn't been around a long time and there's there's not that much documentation of the history. So maybe I will write a book one day. Yeah, I think you should, man. I think you got enough knowledge and, and obviously you've got the experience writing. I think it's right up your alley. So where are you from, Jack? I was curious. I never asked. I'm from Connecticut originally. Connecticut. And okay. I moved down here uh, in 2009. Interesting. What was it like growing up in Connecticut? Very, very quiet, very sheltered. Okay. Very pretty. Yeah. I think because that's I think that's where JP is from. JP Warren. I think he's yeah. From he, he mentioned that last time I saw him, and I was yeah. And you guys are like polar salt. opposites. So obviously, <laughs> you guys didn't drink the same water. Yeah. Know. And Connecticut's there's there's definitely different parts. I'm, I'm from <laughs> right. uh, I'm from Madison, which is pretty close to the water, about forty minutes from. Maybe thirty minutes from from Yale, New Haven. Oh, nice. Uh, I don't know where J, what part JP is from, but I don't know. 
So probably closer closer to New York, closer to the border. Yeah, because he's very Euro and, and they, like trying to, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Metro. He's very Metro, which is cool because I've been told I'm Metro too. But regardless, I've never been to Connecticut. And you said you grew up kind of by the water? Yeah. Yeah. Are you like into skiing, fishing, I'm none of really, the above? I'm not really good at any of that stuff, but I do like going to the beach a lot. And Heck I think yeah. that for that reason, I, I appreciate Galveston a lot more than most people. Who yeah. Most people don't appreciate Galveston. I mean, and I, <laughs> I know and I, I don't, and I and I get I, I get why, but I think I think I'm because I miss the Long Island Sound and the shoreline yeah. there. Like going to Galveston is just such a nice treat for me. Yeah, no, and and I say that jokingly, but so what I I've heard though, and this is totally off topic, but I've heard that uh, Tillman, the one the Tillman Fertitta, I heard yeah. him and like a bunch of other big ballers have ideas and plans to build out Galveston in the event that they allow gambling. They're going to make it like the next Atlantic City. And then they're going to put in like a filtering system. Because apparently the reason that Galveston's so dirty is through all the silt and junk that it drags down basically throughout the delta and then dumps it in the Gulf. But apparently it could be actually like crystal clear blue water if they filtered all that silt and all that junk out of there before it got to the Gulf. So imagine that. Like we've got a paradise like miles away from us. So and if Texas, which is funny because you can run around with guns, it's weed will probably be legal here at some point. But gambling? I mean, we're surrounded by Oklahoma and, and Louisiana with gambling. How much money are we losing out on? I mean, someone has to make the jump. You would think. And this is something that I've seen coming from the Northeast, too, because, I mean, you know, Connecticut used to have, well, it still has two Native American casinos. Okay. And then Massachusetts legalized gambling a couple of years ago, and they started building their own stuff. Oh, and then yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's either Rhode Island or another state in the Northeast is like done it now, too. And it's, this weird thing where there's going to be casinos everywhere. Yeah. No, I mean, I just can't imagine how much money Texas is losing out on to Oklahoma and Louisiana with, with gambling and casinos. But I heard like even just like the, the county within Galveston, you know, as like a trial to, to legalize gambling there and then create, I mean, think how much tourism we would bring to, to Galveston because Galveston's okay, but most people are going to just be like, oh, if I'm going to go to Galveston, I might as well just go to Florida and like Destin, which right. is like seven hours away. You get beautiful water and, and a nice beach and stuff. But anyway, my wife and I had actually talked about buying some real estate in Galveston in hopes that one day that does happen and things would pop off would be pretty cool. But we'll see. I don't know. Anyway, what did you do for fun growing up? I did a lot of writing music when I was... That's uh, something I wouldn't... When I was 14, I got hit by a car. So I didn't really do sports anymore after that point. I'm okay now, but like it kind of disrupted my... I did, I did running... Like I got hit when I was doing practice for cross country running no way so after that i was like well i kind of migrated out of sports while i was laid up i got a, a macbook you started typing away started started recording good for started you garage band and now i've migrated into different programs and that was you know a long time ago now and huh. so that, st- that stayed with me for life no kidding good for you it's crazy how some life like some traumatic life events can shape and change the trajectory and then that's who you are for the rest of your life how did you get hit by a car I was running in the shoulder in rural Connecticut. Yeah. This doctor um, was What's his chances? apparently on, on something. He's okay. no longer with us. He hit me with the mirror of his car and it like flipped me into the air. And Whoa. It blew my shoes off. I used to have what? shoes still. <laughs> what? And I coded like three times in the next like couple months because I- What does that got, mean? Like I flatlined. Holy cow. And had my last rights twice. And we ended up suing him and I got enough money that, you know, we paid for the, the uh, considerable medical bills. Yeah. And I also put myself through college. I went to University of St. Thomas here in Houston. Wow. I, I, you know, 
wanted to get out of the state or get out of the Northeast. Yeah, because of that, I could pay for college. So okay, I don't know if I would say I would do it again, but <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, some might say you know student no, loans no nowadays no are pretty pretty expensive. Right now, so it just which is pretty cool. So yeah, wow. Well, what a blessing to have obviously survived and and what you've gone through. Random question, but if you're on a sidewalk walking, do do you ever get like P, like give PSD from walking on a not road? really because I don't remember or the, PTSD the, the point sorry. at which I got hit. Okay, but I wish that there were sidewalks more sidewalks in Connecticut. I mean, cause that's the thing is I was out in the country and I was running in the shoulder. Like yeah. I was way, like, I, I was way far off the road. Like you would have to be on something to hit me, but yeah. And uh, what time was it? It was like probably like 7am. Ah, he had a late early. night, early morning. I will say that sometimes there are neighborhoods and places in Houston that maybe like don't have sidewalks or the sidewalks not. Maintained. There's a lot of them. And I'm like, oh, man, I really, I really don't want to like walk around. I want to stay on the sidewalk. I'm yeah. Like, no, so I, don't I do think blame about you. it, but it's not too traumatic anymore. Though. That's intense, man. How old were you? 14. Oh, so, woof, man, that's crazy. So then you're laid up in the hospital, you have a MacBook, and you start, you, at that point, were you recording music, or you said you were writing music? I was writing and recording. What I had kind of music? Before, but the thing is, Garage Band, you know, the program Garage Band comes free with like all Macs. And yeah. That was just a really easy way as a kid to get into composing. No doubt. What kind of music? Synth pop, rock. Um, synth pop singer songwriter just like kind of kind of everything no kidding but you know with with midi there's a lot you can do without you know live recording okay and i've I've gotten into recording live you know as well like and singing a lot of the stuff i do right now is rock yes singing playing guitar all well you've that. teed yourself up so can you please sing us a, a, a couple bars absolutely not <laughs> what dude you've been doing this since you were 14 you're a professional it's all in posts. There's a there's a program called Melodyne that I found a couple of years ago. Uh, um, so you do a lot of voiceover stuff. Well, it allows me to do pitch shifting because one of the one of the things that always dissuaded me from doing a lot of live recording is it's time consuming because you've got to do a bunch of takes. And with Melodyne, you can just kind of tweak it. You're like, this take isn't the worst. Let me right. I can fix this. So, Are you a big auto tune guy? Well, that's kind of what Melodyne does, but auto tune's an algorithm, so you don't have a lot of control over. The particulars, like it applies this cookie cutter thing to it. Oh yeah. And Melodyne takes all the notes from what you've recorded and plots it on a thing wow. and allows you to move them around. So you can leave some things very slightly off key to give it a you know a humanized element, or you can just lock it all in if you want. Yeah. So. Wow, crazy. So what's the what's your when when you look back at through all the years that you've recorded music, what's one that stands out that you're like you're like this this should have hit big. Do you have anything that comes to mind? No, not not quite. Uh, oh. <laughs> I continue to record. I probably I probably record maybe twenty or thirty songs a year. And you won't even spit a couple notes on the on the old podcast for us. I'm in the process of rebranding some of my music and, and where it's where it's located and stuff. This might be the opportunity to make I, it big. I have a band camp, and I tried to log in the other day. I had a bunch of my old music on it. And, Apparently, I don't own the email anymore where the recovery for the password is. So I got to call them. It's okay. it's a big thing. So do you have like this alter ego on YouTube where you like have like thousands of your songs out and like huge subscription and but you're just not no, comfortable? No, my outlet is Instagram. Ah, what's it, your Instagram handle? It's a running out of reasons band. Okay. 
running out of reasons is what the artist is called. I've cycled through like a million of them because <laughs> it doesn't really matter because it's not my job. But it's fun. Yeah. You like it. And that's what matters. So if I get bored with the name, I'll just change it and just nobody cares. And it's yeah. I'm fine with that. Well, whatever the current handle is, which you just mentioned it, we're going to put it in the show notes and hopefully you get a few more followers. Yeah. And people will be that'd like. That'd be awesome. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's just fun. It is. It's something to unplug. And, you know, you're obviously busy day to day. Something that can take your mind off the grind and you can just have fun with it, I think is amazing. And one of the other things I've gotten into doing since the pandemic, you know, because now I'm going back to work three days a week voluntarily because we don't have a policy quite yet. Yeah. You know, I, I had a lot of spare time and I, I got Final Cut to edit video and I've been doing green screen stuff for me, music videos as well. So no way. Me playing stuff, putting it on a green screen, and like changing the background and stuff. Really? Yeah. Cause, uh, Are you on TikTok? Actually, no, I am. I just don't really update it. Gosh, much, man, you're missing out. Beck had this album in the, like, I think, I think it came out like 2007 or eight, where he recorded an album, then he made a bunch of crappy kind of low quality music videos for every song on there. Wow. And they were all green screen. Huh. And it's like, this is, this is Beck, but this is a really cheap thing for me to do. Let me just do this. This is fun. Yeah. So. Huh. Well, I would have never guessed. I mean, that is a really fun fact. So we, we actually took the the question I normally have towards the end and then put it in there. <laughs> Do you have a liking towards dinosaurs? Because you have a dinosaur shirt on. I like dinosaurs okay, but my fiance, she really likes dinosaurs. And really? She has Congrats. dinosaur stuff. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. So by extension, I've accumulated more dinosaur things over the years. Hey, you, for the wife, anything. I get it. My son loves dinosaurs. And I actually do love dinosaurs too. And we were watching YouTube yesterday and... There's a bunch of people who have taken videos of themselves on like the Jurassic Park ride. And he watched that thing about a thousand times. Now I really want to go to Disney, wherever it was, either Universal Studios, perhaps. Have think, you been? I think it's Universal. Yeah, I've, I've been. Is the, it good? Yeah. The, it looked awesome. It's funny because the ride is kind of dated now. but I think they've upgraded it. But it's, but it's, it's still really awesome. Like, yeah. it, it feels like a relic, but like in a good way. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's still, well, there's still a lot of good jump scares. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I mean, again, it's just, it's fascinating because, you know, my son who's two and a half years old, like I, in his brain, like dinosaurs are a real thing. And so when he was watching the ride, like you could see, like he was shaking with excitement. Like there's real dinosaurs and they're like jumping out and there's like, they're coming out of the water. And like to be, to have that level of, I guess, cluelessness to where you think everything is real would just be amazing. Kind of like Santa Claus, like my daughter's five and a half. I told her I talked to Santa Claus the other day and, you know, it's just like creating <laughs> this magical life that, I mean, I guess in your heart can exist. I just find it so cool. That's what I love about kids, man. It's so cool. But anyway, do you guys have a wedding date or what? Yeah, it'll be in December and end of December, hopefully with, you know, with the whole Delta variant thing where like, we're hoping that, you know, everything stays Kind of like it is now, but you never know. I know, such a wild card. And then not only just for your wedding, which I hope obviously it doesn't affect, but just in global markets and, you know, energy demand. And if we all have to huddle up in our houses again, that could throw a wrench into a lot of people's plans. Yeah, ho- hopefully we're, we're through the worst of it. And, yeah. you know, for better or for worse, I know like us living here in Texas, like it would take an apocalyptic situation <laughs> right, for us yeah. to shut down again. The There'd have to be way. zombies running around with COVID before they shut things down again, for yeah. sure. That's cool. Please tell me you're having a dinosaur-themed wedding. No, we're, ha- we're having a Christmas-themed wedding. What? Even better. It's I sort, love it's Christmas. It's sort of low-key, low like, mature Christmas. There's no Santa That's Claus. Cool. No Santa Claus is going to be there. But, oh, you, know, you need, Christmas like, Santa Claus jumping out of the wedding cake or something. Stuff. Come on. It's funny because... Um, I love it. We're going to have... We're buying a, you know, a small wedding cake, like a, like one that's just for us. And we're going to have... We're going to serve another kind of cake to everybody else. Okay. But we're telling 
the bakery when we do it that it's going to be a Christmas cake, not a wedding cake. Yeah. So they don't, uh, they don't charge us for a wedding cake. <laughs> Hopefully they don't listen to this podcast because they'll double charge you. Uh, Very strategic. I like that. Good planning and the Christmas themed wedding. That's really cool. I love winter. Obviously here in Texas, I don't get much of it. But that's one thing I miss about Canada. I was going to say, you probably probably missed that. I do. The last like really Christmassy thing that I did with my wife actually in 2018, 17? I don't know. We went to Manhattan between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And oh, I I love New York. I was talking to a customer of mine the other day. He's from Canada as well. But there's something about New York and the energy and the magical like experience you get around Christmas time with all the lights and just I don't know. It like gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I don't know why, but I think growing up in Canada, you see you watch movies that like have Christmas that are like during Christmas time and they're always somewhere like in New York, I feel like. And there's so many, there's, there's so many and yeah. it's, it's a much better place to be, you know, during the winter than the summer. Yeah. But is it cool? Manhattan during the summer just smells like garbage. I bet. Yeah. It's I, just I, a big. <laughs> I could see that for sure. And, and although there wasn't much snow on the ground, it did snow a little bit. And then, nice. you know, like every other corner, there was like something Christmassy going on and oh, I just love it anyway, but very happy for you and your fiance. That's a, that's exciting. Hopefully you guys get to have a fantastic Christmas wedding. I think that's really neat. Before we close out, and I want to respect your time, we're pumping up over almost to an hour here, but do you have anything on a regular basis? And I was going to ask you, you know, if you have any interesting hobbies or anything, which we've already covered, but do you have any daily habits or routines that kind of contribute to you staying in kind of checked in, dialed in, whether it's a morning run or a more, you know, whether you drink coffee every time you get up in the morning at a certain time, or does anything kind of unique that, that you do on a daily basis that you stick to every day? Well, during the week, I try to get up and go to the gym. Cool. We have a gym on campus at work. Oh, very nice. I have an exercise bike at home for the days I don't go. Is it Peloton? No, it's it's sort of a knockoff Peloton. Okay. You know, I, I try to do that and that's kind of new. I Good did it on you. and off before the pandemic. And as I've been getting back to work and like now I'm like, I really have to focus and be present Yeah. more so than before even. That's been helping me just Good stay energetic and awake and just happy and stuff awesome no i love to hear man i'm a big advocate of you know health and fitness and if you're if you're you're treating your body right and you're healthy i think it overlays into a lot of other parts of of life so again this has been great and before we close out i do want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming oggn events hey everybody it's savannah from oggn and here are the events on deck for august 2021 This month we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAPE, or the North American Prospect Expo. 
Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Great, thank you. And I'm switching it up. And this idea came when I had Riley Norris on, but we'd love to start a biweekly basketball game if anyone in the Houston area is interested. If you are and you have access to a basketball court on like a Friday afternoon, let me know because I would love to get back into playing some pickup basketball. If not, you can always hit me up to join the Hack and Whack crew. It's old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn either way. Jack John, thank you so much for joining me today. We went on, you know, I feel like we touched on a lot of different topics, but it was an exciting conversation nonetheless. Thanks for letting me do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you have any other sort of comments, thoughts, words, wisdom of the day, anything that you'd like to relay before we close out or anything about Argus that's pretty cool? Anything? I don't know. I just hope that, you know, the next six months or, you know, we get a little bit of a breather Yeah. as far as COVID and all this stuff. And it's, it's been really fascinating for the commodities markets, but I, I'm just kind of, I'm ready for some chill times. Excellent. No, me and me both. Steven, what about you? You've been quiet. You haven't said anything except for your name. You well, got to say something. I know. Do you have any, com- if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, I'll give you the mic. No, I'm, I'm good, man. It's been great watching the magic happen. <laughs> watching the magic happen in the space room but no i appreciate you coming it's always good to see you and thanks to jack for coming on and with that said always remember when the density's up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town thanks everybody thanks again for listening tune in next week for another episode of oil and gas on shore a production of oil and gas global network for more information visit oggn.com